You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Um, I'd like to begin just by saying a huge thank you to the organisers of the conference. I'm thrilled to be here on this special occasion, so thank you very much for the invitation. And of course also to the library team. I've been coming here for a number of years to look at their manuscripts, and you've been hugely um, helpful in all that you've done um, in that regard, so, so thank you very much indeed. Um, the project to produce a major narrative piece of history in the form of a chronicle began at Worcester in the late 11th century. The Worcester monks, Florence and John, are variously credited with the authorship of a chronicle entitled the Chronica Chronicarum, the Chronicle of Chronicles, which survives today in a working copy in Oxford Corpus Christi College MS157, known by the Siglum C, by which I'll refer to it. Here you can see an image, a random page from the, uh, from the Chronica itself. The Worcester Chronicle is preceded by a range of texts which include a list of popes, a list of consuls, episcopal lists, and, as this slide shows, a set of royal genealogies for the various English kingdoms. There are also summary historical accounts of the kingdoms included in the margins around the outside of the genealogies, as you can see here. And these preliminary texts together form a kind of historian's toolkit. You can imagine the monks in the early 12th century in Worcester looking back at all of the texts that they had in front of them, trying to reconstruct and understand the history that they uh, wanted to get to grips with, and doing so by the medium of these summaries and genealogies. Inspiration for the contents of the manuscript as a whole and for its chronological structure was provided by another chronicle composed in the late 11th century by Marianus Scotus, an Irishman working on the continent, who believed that the dating of the incarnation had been calculated 22 years too late by Dionysius Exiguus. If we just go back to the first image, you can see how clearly the chronological structure of the chronicle is laid out. So on the right-hand side, you get the, the, the entries are done uh, year by year. On the right-hand side, you get the Anna Domini date. And on the left-hand side in red, uh, you get the, the Marianan date. And the imperial year there is given just after the Marianan date. Now, at a late stage in the production of this major Worcester chronicle, probably in about 1133 to 1143, the monk John turned his hand to the writing of an abbreviated version, which he described by the diminutive title Chronicula, and which survives in only one copy here, of course, in Trinity, numbered 503. Because its text has never been printed before, its recent digitisation represents an important advance in accessing its details, all the more so because the majority of it was written by John himself. It's in John's hand. For some now unknown reason, John stopped writing his chronicular midway through the Annal for 1123. The manuscript then travelled to Gloucester, where additions were made down to the year 1141, again using the main Worcester Chronicle as a source. Because the manuscript remains unprinted, it's so far attracted very little scholarly attention. In the late 16th century, Partial transcriptions were made by the antiquaries John Jocelyn, secretary to Matthew Parker, and by John Stowe. In my short paper today, I hope to provide an overview of the manuscript and its contents, 
to suggest how it fits into the wider production of historiography um, at Worcester in the first half of the 12th century, and to show some of the unique information that it contains. Now, the Cronicula is in many ways an odd text. A large proportion of it was derived from the parent Worcester Chronicle, with some parts simply being copied across. But other parts are abbreviated, summarised and brought together in unusual ways. A few passages related to the Worcester Chronicle have a different tone and contain different details. And John, in writing his Cronicula, made use of material scattered across um, uh, the, the entirety of the manuscript C, so not just from the Chronicle itself, but also from this front matter, from the genealogies, from the summary accounts, from the Episcopalists, and so on. At one point in the Cronicula, the sentence that's on the left-hand side of the slide there um, can be found, which matches exactly the sentence, if you could read it, at the bottom of one of the genealogies at the front of the C manuscript, which reads, up until this point, the kingdom of the Kentish people stood for 368 years. Now, having written this sentence, the Cronicula then continues its account by saying that during those years, there had been 15 kings in Kent with Hengist I and Baldred the last. It's striking that on the same genealogy, on the same page of C, each of these 15 kings in the visual genealogy has a rubricated rex written above their names. And the question arises, had these rubrics been inserted in order to facilitate counting of the number of kings, or did pre-existing rubrics make such enumeration straightforward? In other words, comparison of the cronicula with C shows the kind of comparisons that John himself must have been making when composing his text. That John was not simply copying across material from the main Worcester Chronicle into his cronicula is revealed by the use, his use of sources in his abbreviated version. For he deploys new sources when compiling the cronicula and makes both more extended and also an altered use of others. Different versions of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle had formed important sources for the main Worcester text, and the same is true in John's Chronicula. Most significantly, it's clear that John made use of some version or a copy of the F Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, a text that had not been harnessed in the same way for the main Worcester project. F itself is a bilingual Old English and Latin version of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle written at Christchurch, Canterbury in the first decade of the 12th century that was itself later amended uh, by the means of erasures and rewritings, insertions and marginal annotations and additions. And the Chronicula begins with a geographical description of Britain that matches almost exactly the contents of the preface to the F version of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And borrowings from F continue until the mid-11th century, and they cover a wide range of topics. Now, in his Annal 4868, there in the Cronicula, John deploys material that is taken from Annal 799 in the F Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. But when we analyse it, you can see that he does so in an interesting way. In these few sentences... John is narrating how the Romans seized Pope Leo, blinded him, and removed his tongue 
but that thanks to the grace of God, Dei Gratia, Leo's speech was restored and he was helped back to power by Charles, who was then made emperor. In order to construct his account, John, rather than simply inserting straightforward borrowings, seems actually to move from one source to another and back again. And you can see that he uses material that's found both in the F Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, indicated by superscript 4 there on the slide, and also material from another text, the early 12th century ecclesiastical history by Hugh of Fleury, which is indicated by superscript 5. And it's further possible that John, when he was writing this entry into his chronicula, also had his eye on the Old English parts of that text, so that the F Chronicle, written both in Latin and Old English, for the words Dei Gratia, in Latin, in, in John's Annal, don't find any corresponding entry in the Latin of the F Chronicle, but they can be found in the Old English Annal at the same point with the words Goda um, Fultumiendum. F may also have had a visual impact on John. When John's chronicula begins on folio 37, with its description of Britain taken from F, it uses an enlarged and rubricated initial B in Britannia. You can see that on the left-hand side. That bears a close similarity to the equivalent B in F. And I did try to get an image to, of F to juxtapose, but as Laura warned earlier, um, the British Library side is helpfully down. Um, and under a subsequent annal, John's annal for 846 in the chronicula towards its end, it describes the appearance of a cross against the moon and includes a diagram of the cross that had appeared. And the text of that entry and the same diagram can be found in Annal 806 of F, as Laura herself has noted on the work and her work on Worcester manuscripts. Now, a close textual comparison between the chronicula and F Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reveals that F as it survives today could not have been John's direct source. For while some passages agree exactly, Others do not. Because the text of F itself was later updated by one of its scribes by means of erasures and annotations, it's possible that John had seen an intermediary version of that text. There are further interesting points of comparison with other texts used by John uh, in compiling his chronicula. As already noted, the work of Marianus Scotus had formed an important source for the main Worcester Chronicle. And in using it for the chronicula, John can once more be found visiting it afresh rather than simply recycling it through the main, uh, via the main Worcester Chronicle. And there is possible evidence, which needs further investigation, that John may have had access to another version of Marianus's work when writing his chronicula. The early 12th century ecclesiastical history by Hugh of Fleury had been used in the writing of the main Worcester Chronicle and their borrowings from Hugh's text are inserted as marginal entries. Now, when John comes to write the chronicula, Hugh's text is used much more extensively than in the main Worcester text. And there, in the chronicula, it's incorporated as main text, part of the main text of John's work, suggesting that it had come late to Worcester after the composition of C had started, where it was included as marginal entries, but in time for it to be included as main text in the chronicula. Perhaps most importantly of all, the chronicula contains sources that cannot be found in C, and indeed material that cannot be paralleled elsewhere. In its 1039 annal, 
The curricula interrupts its narrative, so it normally gives a sort of straightforward year-by-year account of different secular and ecclesiastical events of interest. But here it interrupts its narrative to give two long accounts of miracles. The first is about the appearance of the devil in human form, in an attempt to kill the brethren of a Burgundian monastery while their abbot was travelling to Rome. And the second is about the life of a rich count in France, who, having fallen from grace, was then returned uh, to favour by the help of the devil who was once more appearing to him in human form. Now, these same miracle accounts can't be found in C, and I haven't been able to find their ultimate source. But they're not unlike other miracle stories that appear in the main Worcester Chronicle, and also some of the stories that appear in the text of William of Malmesbury's Gesta Regum Anglorum, suggesting that there may have been a body of such material for those in Worcester and in Malmesbury to draw upon. Three poems which commemorate the deaths of King Edward the Confessor in 1066, King Harold, son of Godwinner, in 1066, and Bishop Wolfstan II in 1095, have uniquely been inserted in the curriculum. I've given you the image of the poem at the top there about Edward and the one on the bottom there about Harold. Now, it's highly likely that these uh, poems were composed by John himself when he came to compile the entries for these years. Each line of the poems consists of two sets of six syllables. Each line has internal rhyme between the two sets, and the accent on the final word of each line falls on the penultimate syllable. In other words, they are paroxytonic verses. In writing these verses, John may have been inspired by similar poetry inserted in various annals of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which commemorate the deaths of different kings, particularly the poem known as The Death of Edward, which marks Edward's death and the succession of Harold. The poem about Harold is particularly interesting for its statements about Norman rule and English suffering, when it says, Thus the Norman rules, the conquered Englishman grieves. He is despoiled of his wealth every single day. But may he who knows no end put an end to these evils. Such anti-Norman and pro-English statements are striking, particularly given that they occur in a poem that was written at Worcester in the late 1130s, that is, some 70 years after William's initial military victory. Now, it's difficult to know what to make of these expressions of anti-Norman feeling. In the wake of the Norman conquest, authors of the late 11th and early 12th centuries were, of course, exploring issues of ethnicity and identity to the extent that a complex picture emerges of what it meant to be English or Norman at any given moment. Thomas O'Donnell, in his work on Worcester texts, has rightly warned that we can't propose a monastic identity that was altogether uh, homogeneous, sorry, homogeneous, still less homogeneously English, and that actually the scribes of Worcester's literary culture brought together texts whose contents emphasise the diverse origins and experiences of the individuals within the community. Nevertheless, it's striking that John included in his chronicular a poem about Harold, son of Godwinner, the very person who was effectively written out of history by the Normans for his perceived usurpation of the throne. And it perhaps provides an indication of John's own views in the late 1130s. 
It's very difficult to know why John compiled the Chronicula. Its small size and diminutive title may prima facie suggest that it was intended to be an author's own copy for his personal use. But in fact, references within the text to the main Worcester Chronicle may suggest that John expected his Chronicula to be read by others, at times in conjunction with the fuller annals in the Chronicle. In one part, relating a history of Viking activities, he states, whoever wants to know the very worst deeds of all these men will find them written in chronological order and more fully in the Chronicle of Chronicles. So if you want the good stuff, go to the big chronicle. But at any rate, in this little book, a libellus, we have been concerned to insert only the more useful matters. Perhaps in origin, this was a more easily digestible form of the main Worcester Chronicle, one that could be used as reading material for John's Worcester brethren at mealtimes. Regardless of John's purpose in writing the Chronicula, what the text certainly shows is that John and all of the other brethren working on the composition of historiography in 12th century Worcester were not content to leave their chronicle works static. They were repeatedly revisiting the sources at their disposal, and once they received a new text, they didn't hesitate to refashion their works and incorporate new information. For no other English text of the same period are we permitted this level of access to the very many layers of revision that took place, thus providing unusually precise detail about the working methods of this 12th century historical workshop. And with Trinity's recent digitization project, it's hoped that further research will reveal more detail about the construction of history in 12th century Worcester. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you.